Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Creating affiliates through people that have organizations and have followings online um, it makes things a lot easier. Instead of actually having tangible people on the ground trying to move your product around their gym or whatever it may be. Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn what it means to come in with a palms-down approach when working with partners, why you should form affiliate partnerships with communities rather than individuals, and why you need to over-index on customer service when you're releasing an MVP. Today, I'm joined by Casey and Taylor Holiday, brothers who founded Kalo and Common Thread Collective. Kalo are the makers of the Functional Wedding Ring and was started in 2013 and based out of Santa Ana, California. Welcome, Casey and Taylor. Thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. What's going on, Felix? How are you? Good, good. So let's uh, kick things off by talking a little bit about Kalo. What is, tell us a little more about this store and the, this uh, wedding ring that you guys sell. Yeah, absolutely. So... We say internally that we create products that inspire commitment, but um, as you mentioned, we're most known for creating the functional wedding ring. Uh, we launched the, the website in March 1st of 2013, and uh, it's myself and then Ted is the other founder with me as well. Um, and we were really just a, a couple of guys that we were married about one month apart from one another, and so we were both newlyweds and started wearing metal wedding rings and realized that we were taking them off more often than we were actually wearing them. Mm. And so whether it be to work out or to go to the beach or traveling or whatever it may be, we found ourselves taking our wedding rings off and leaving them places. And then our wives reminding us that we weren't wearing them. So, <laughs> um, so we, uh, were actually working at the same lo- place at the time. And so we in, sort of in passing mentioned to one another that we had kind of a, a difficulty wearing a metal ring. And then we decided together to sort of research and see if there were any alternatives out there that made a little bit more sense with our lifestyle. And we found that there really wasn't anything. So, um, we both kind of looked at one another and said, if we do this together then let's actually give this a shot and try and start a business. We soon realized we knew nothing about starting a business, but we had taken the first step of actually deciding to, to try and pursue it. Cool. Now, what were your backgrounds? How did you even know what steps to take once you discovered that, Hey, there's no product like this exists. How did you guys know what to do next? So I, myself, uh, we both were living in, in Los Angeles at the time and, and working in Beverly Hills. I was part-time producer, full-time bartender, and um, <laughs> Ted uh, actually managed the restaurant um, and had actually a much more successful acting career than I ever did in L.A. And so we were both go, sort of going through the the restaurant grind, which uh, is the story often in L.A. And um, so that was sort of the background that we had. Ted had some experience previous with uh you know, working with some companies and, and doing a couple of startups. And I had um, sort of a, a, a group of friends uh, with Taylor sitting here with me as, as my brother um, that had some experience sort of in this space and, and as entrepreneurs and dealing with startups. And so the first step for us was one, acknowledging that we had no idea what we were doing, but second, reaching out to the people that we that we knew had some idea um, sort of about the journey that we were about to embark on. And, uh, and so we kind of gained as much information as we could. And then found Shopify and then sort of started from there. Yeah. So, and for me, so my, as Casey's brother, you know, um, I at the time was running a digital marketing agency. So the common thread collective is our agency and we are an online sales agency. So it was kind of this match made in heaven where what we're always looking for is passionate entrepreneurs with an awesome idea who are 
willing to work hard and have a great product. And so Casey first introduced me to the silicone ring, um, just passing them out and said, hey, what do you think of this? I was married at the time and shared sort of a similar lifestyle and thought, hey, this is this is something really cool and also shares a lot of like perfect e-commerce attributes for a product. Um, and so we just kind of put our heads together um, and initially moved into about a 150 square foot office together <laughs> with my, so my quote unquote company at the time was three of us. And it was just Casey at the time and Ted working from home. And um, that was the kind of the beginning of our journey and popped a store up on Shopify and, and got rocking. So, uh, Taylor, you mentioned that it had the perfect e-commerce attributes. Can you go over some of those? Like, what, do you, what did you recognize about this uh, particular product, this brand, this marketplace that made you say this was a perfect one to, or a really good one at least, to enter into? For sure. When we think about sort of what makes a great e-commerce product, there's a few attributes. One is um, the margins, so opportunity to go out and acquire customers and still make profit is really important. Um, the size of it makes it really easy and reduces shipping costs and allow and low um, manufacturing costs allow you to make inventory um, purchases at minimal risk. The other thing is just the communities that we are going after. So we always look for products that have communities that aggregate online and are easily to access and identify. And so Kalo's customers share some of these attributes in that one, just being married is a unique identifier that specifically Facebook allows us to access in a unique way that allows us to be very specific with our marketing. And then secondarily, the communities between firefighters, police officers, people in the military, people in CrossFit, these are very viral communities that once a product sort of enters into these communities, it spreads really quickly. And so recognizing those attributes of the product and then knowing who Casey and Ted were and the way that they sort of were going to build a brand that had meaning and purpose behind it, it felt like, hey, this is a chance to be really special. And it, and it has been. Cool. Yes, I like those three attributes. I want to break them down a little bit more. So the first one was about it needs to have good enough margins for you to have a profit. When you look at products, uh, whether it be Kalo or any other products that you launch or thinking about launching, is there a threshold that you look at? Is there a particular percentage margin that you you recommend uh, store owners try to hit? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on sort of the, the average order value. Um, so the higher the AOV, the less the percentage matters and more the dollar figure matters. Um but we, we love to see 60 plus points of margin on a product and we love to see, you know, AOVs moving somewhere in the 30 to 120 dollar range. That's sort of the sweet spot for the companies that we work with. We see that as like, hey, if you meet those criteria and your shipping costs are relatively low, then we feel, and you have like sort of these identifiable communities online, we feel like we can go out and, and help you acquire customers in a profitable fashion. So really you just look at your unit economics and understand um, sort of what is your target customer acquisition costs, and, and is that doable or feasible given the available tools online? And I'll, I'll add to that, Felix, real quick. I think that I, I know you briefly mentioned it, Taylor, but size of the actual product itself, yeah. because I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's probably in your living room um, or, or in your master bedroom or wherever it may be. And so from a storage perspective, uh, making sure that the product is reasonably small and able to be stored uh, inexpensively is important because once you do move to a logistics company, you can sort of rack up the storage fees if your product is pretty large. Yeah, definitely a good point. One, one uh, I guess, rule of thumb I've heard entrepreneurs quote is that if you can't pick up the item with one hand, then it's a good product in terms of size. Anything that requires two hands or even more is going to be a much harder product to to store and to right. ship out you know, economically. Um, so now I'm going to talk about the community aspect. I think this is important too because a lot of times entrepreneurs don't look at this until the very end. Right? They have a product, they have all of these things set up, but then they don't look at the distribution of the marketing. Like 
how do I actually get this product in front of the right people? Now you mentioned that you're able to identify that there were <clears throat> these particular markets that or these particular demographics that you're going after. They're easily identifiable and easily targetable. So Facebook was one thing that you mentioned. Were there any other ways that you found useful to reach this this uh, the audience, the the target customer of yours, uh, other than Facebook? So in the so in the beginning, one of the smart things that Casey and Ted did was that they went out to sort of these uh, indigenous online communities, if you will, in the sense that like an example of it is firefighter wives. So there's this organization of women that aggregate online that are married, that are part of the firefighter community um, and are supporting their their husbands or uh, vice versa, husbands supporting wives who are firefighters. And they sort of aggregate on in these online communities, whether that's in Facebook groups or in blogs. Um, and so going out and forming an initial some initial affiliate partnerships within those communities was a real validator that, hey, these are communities that we should on a larger scale target and go after. So I think the police and fire were initially the ones that we went after. We also, Casey and Ted did a really smart thing in forming um, charity partnerships within those communities with the, the Fallen Firefighters Association and then National Fallen Law Enforcement Officers. So we were always, any community that we went into, we always wanted to make sure that we were giving back and authentically engaging with that community in a way that was like endemic to who they were. And we weren't trying to just exploit the community, but we were trying to participate and give back to it as well. And we, in the beginning, which I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can, can understand and share with, is that we didn't have a ton of capital to go out and start spending yeah. on advertising digitally. And so for us, it was a lot of, of the initial grind of, of a couple of guys that didn't have a ton of money that had started a business. We're still working full-time jobs, but we're trying to sort of get the word out about our product. And once we had sort of exhausted our families and friends, um, it was sort of what's next and how we get this product out there and help people understand what Kalo is. And so for us, it was about reaching out to firefighter blogs and to people that were blogging and had a presence on online that were sharing with people in these communities and emailing them and, and building relationships with them. So then they had the willingness to help spread the word of Kalo as well. Mm, I think that that's a good point that if you don't have a lot of big advertising budget and you you know can't pour all this money into running uh, paid ads to go after these communities and be a part of the community, not only can you learn a lot about it, but then they can become advocates, like I think in your example. So talk to us a little bit more about how you approach these communities. I think it's a, a hesitation for a lot of entrepreneurs because they don't want to become oversalesy, they don't want to become too pitchy and you know be spammy. How do you approach these communities? You mentioned charity partnerships, affiliate partnerships. What's the, I guess, the initial conversation like with these communities when you want to start working with them? Yeah, I think authenticity is everything. Um, I think that these communities, because they are so tight-knit, they can sort of smell BS a mile away. And so I mm -hmm. think it's about authentically approaching them, sharing your own individual story, and then also truly understanding how you're going to be feeding into them and supporting the communities that they exist in. Um, and so for them, you know, you, you know, like for instance, with the firefighter community and the product that we specifically were we're selling. So identifying what your product is and specifically what the purpose is for this community and expressing very clearly how it will benefit them. And for us, it was in dealing with firefighters, you know, the, the divorce rate in communities like military fire is just, just as a result of the stress of the job, the divorce rate is higher than it is in other communities. Mm -hmm. And so with the very specific product that we were selling with the wedding ring, for us, it was, it was authentically reaching out to them and, and realizing that we were serving them a product that could benefit them that they saw as a value in, in their lives because of the, what their daily struggles were. And so I think it's as the entrepreneur identifying the product that you're selling and truly authentically expressing how you think it will benefit the people as opposed to coming off completely salesy, like you're just trying to make money. On. Yeah. And I'll add one of the things that Kayla's done really well is 
is identifying within a community who the most authentic people are in developing relations with them. So as an example, in CrossFit, when we started um, and, and decided to target the CrossFit community, the question wasn't who is the most famous married person, but it was who is the person that people respect the most within this community. And so that led us to Jason Khalifa, um, who actually was a connection that we developed from Shane Dorian, who was another ambassador of ours. So it's like we developed these real relationships where people were recommending other like-minded people. And then Jason really opened the doors to, okay, guys, here's what it means to be a part of this community. And we came in really humbly as, hey, we're not CrossFitters. We don't understand. And we listened. And we heard what he had to say about who are the right people to engage with, who are people that align with your core values. And so that led us to Jason, which led us to Barbells for Boobs and Ziona. And, and the people over there. And now now we share an office with them. And so the relationships have developed in such a real organic way that we came in with what we like to call a palms down approach in the sense that we're not coming to ask for something. We're coming to say like to hear from them about what value we can add to their community, what their needs are and how our product helps to fit them. Mm, I like that. The palms down approach. You want to try to give value first before you ask anything back in return. Um, now, in terms of uh, maybe increasing the incentive for people to to work with you or promote the product, even even if they are big fans already, to help kind of increase that incentive. Did you mention that you also do like affiliate partnerships with these uh, communities? Yeah, early on, we definitely we definitely had some affiliate partnerships um, that that were really meaningful to our early growth. Um, I think that in some ways. Some of the systems become difficult to manage at scale for affiliate, and we found other sort of channels to be more effective at customer acquisition. And we really focused more on like figuring out ways, like whether it was developing, uh, you know, specific product lines that give a portion back to the communities. Like we have a, you know, a barbells for boobs ring that a portion goes back to that community, and so they're incentivized to promote the product to their entire community as a little bit more effective than individual affiliates for us. Mm-hmm. I think those early days of growth, having just as many, you know, sort of foot soldiers out helping to spread the word is super important. But eventually when you get to a place at scale, it can become difficult to manage, I think we, we found. Yeah, we, we found early that we actually gave it a shot of having like actual people be our affiliates initially. And it was just so hard to manage. I mean, when you talk about as an entrepreneur, when you're trying to manage all assets of a business, and then you also have people as affiliates that are maybe, move, maybe moving a few products for you, but can reach out to you and can be reasonably needy, it ends up being a bit overwhelming and then you feel like you're actually letting those people down. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of setting yourself up for failure as opposed to success. And so with digital the way it is nowadays, we found that creating affiliates through people that have organizations and have followings online um, it makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Instead of actually having tangible people on the ground trying to move your product around their gym or whatever it may be. Mm, okay. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about these challenges that you run into? Because I think again, a lot of entrepreneurs out there may start this um, with this route where you have affiliates with individual people, and it's not too bad at first. You know, five, ten affiliates that you're working with, but then as you scale, what kind of issues do you run into? I mean, all the, even just the economics of getting them paid on a regular basis becomes something that becomes a pain to manage and handle, right? And there are definitely tools available to help assist with that. We never got too far into large-scale affiliate platforms to help with that. But that, and then, you know, if you're giving them coupon codes to utilize, you have to sort of balance where you want them to distribute the coupon code. And we ran into a lot of early on issues where coupon codes were ending up all over the internet and all of, on all of the sort of mm-hmm. retail me not type sites. And so it was regulating and tracking purchases and actually being able to attribute them directly to what they're doing. And um, so it's kind of like the difference, I guess, between going to a large scale big box retailer versus having a thousand small doors. Both can be effective, but just the level of management that the the, lar- the large individual army represents can become difficult if you don't build the infrastructure around it right away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's yeah, I think it's also like having an employee that isn't really doing exactly what you need your first employee to be doing. So for right, instance, you don't control them entirely. No, yet. when we hired our first employee, he came in and, and you know, my, my cell phone was our customer service line. So he was returning voicemails and answering customer service emails. But if I have 10 affiliates out there, none of them are doing what I actually need them to do. And really they're just sort of helping to spread the word of the product very slowly. And it ends up being overwhelming. You feel like you're managing 10 employees that don't work in the office that aren't doing what you really need. To and do. controlling your brand message becomes difficult, right? The more that you get early on, it's so important that you, you create some continuity in your brand messaging. And when you have people who aren't employees, who you don't necessarily have the time and energy to like educate in exactly how you want them to communicate, you can end up with messages all over the place because people are incentivized to sell your product versus tell your story. And I think that that can become dangerous. Um, if you aren't able to manage that program really hands on, right, makes sense. Okay, so now that you once you learned that and you decided to move to, I guess, uh, aggregate aggregation and fo- focus more on communities or uh, maybe bloggers or bigger followings. What was that transition like? How did you change? How did the way that you ran your affiliate program change once you moved to focus more on on the, I guess these larger communities rather than individuals? Yeah, I think so. Like we said, I think we formed some big partnerships right now. We have an awesome agreement with the U.S. Army. We have Barbells for Boobs. We have the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, National Fallen Law Enforcement Organization. Like So some big scale, awesome charities with big, large followings that we created specific product for and have um, in-depth partnerships with. So we focused a little bit more on that. And then I think in terms of targeting the communities, you know, Facebook really became this thing where we had tremendous access um, to really specific subsets of, of and able to access them at scale. And so between those two areas, I think we were able to be much more efficient in their management um, and our scale and our uh, return. And so that really kind of became more of the focus rather than any sort of individual affiliates. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay, so now that you, let me take a step back a little bit. Now that you decided that this was a market you wanted to enter into, before you even started reaching out to these different communities and affiliates to work with them, how did you guys get this product made? Like, what were the first steps to getting this manufactured? Yeah, sure. And I think that that's for a lot of people that are new entrepreneurs or have never started a business before, that that's sort of a place where you don't even really know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what we utilized initially was sort of the network of, of friends that we had. And I, we're from Southern California, but I don't think it matters where you live. I think everyone has a network of people, whether it's someone they went to college with or their parents' friend or whatever it may be that they could reach out to and get some advice. And so we sort of uh, went through our Rolodex of people that we knew that potentially could help us out with some manufacturing. And so Ted actually had a friend that we reached out to um, that had a relationship with a manufacturer that um, was willing to sit down with us. And so we sat down with, uh, with him and sort of went over what we wanted out of a product um, we actually uh, sent him our wedding rings, so the wedding rings Literally that, that we wore. Yes, wow. yes, and uh, and said, "Hey, can you make something like this?" Um, and I can promise you, it was not a great product initially. And we went through a lot of, of trial and error of, of getting the manufacturing correct. But there were the, many uh, pizza fueled QA <laughs> parties with lots of friends and family in the early days. Yes, of, yeah, it was trimming flash off of silicone and like lots of. Real grunt work that uh, any entrepreneur in the early days can understand. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And my wife and I used to watch Netflix together and trim rings on our couch. That's funny. So what, any, any tips then on, on smoothing out this process then that you've gone through it? If you have an idea for a product, you need to get a manufacturer, but it doesn't exist yet, or you need to actually have these kind of samples of prototypes made. What have you learned throughout this process that you would be able to use, let's say, the second time around to improve the, the process? Yeah, I think, I think what I will say first and foremost is don't let a product feeling like it's not perfect stop you from releasing a product. I mean, with a lot of, you read a lot of startup books and a lot of books on, with entrepreneurship talk about MVP or minimal viable product. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs get really held up saying my product's not good enough or I don't feel great about it. And then you end up sort of in this endless cycle of trying to improve your product and get out there before you actually release it to the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that since Kayla launched on day one that we've been improving our product and it's never going to stop. So don't let that stop you from releasing the product itself. But initially with manufacturing, I think the first thing I would do is sort of look at your own network um, that you have to see if anyone has any familiarity with with it. And oftentimes I think you can find someone. Um, and then apart from that, the Internet has become an incredible resource um, to be able to connect you with people, um, be it in a different country or in other parts of America where you could reach out to them and at least get an initial product developed and a prototype made from them. And what I think people, a lot of people don't realize is once you have a manufacturer create a prototype for you, you're not married to that manufacturer. If you think that the um, delivery is subpar, the the actual product itself is subpar, you can always go somewhere else. And I know myself, even as a, when I first started the business, that you sort of feel this obligation to this manufacturer when you mm-hmm. first start. They made this first prototype for me, so now I have to make the entire run, even though I don't feel great about this product. And that's not always the case. Manufacturers are very hungry and very willing to manufacture for you if they feel like you have a scalable business. And so I would try out potentially a couple of different manufacturers, or if you have someone that you know is a reliable person that's that's a reference for you to point you in the right direction, I think is always a great place to start. So I'll just add in real fact, something that he hit on that Kayla's done an amazing job of from the beginning is that even if the product had issues, they did. They emphasized caring about their customers and ensuring that they fixed whatever problem existed. And so you, if you're going to go out with an MVP, where you have to really over-index then is on customer service. And Kalo has done that from the beginning where what, whatever problem it was, like, like Casey said, he answered book calls on his personal cell phone for a very long time. Um, and when he didn't, there was someone else that was available immediately to solve the problem. And so if you care, if you develop, think about developing a relationship with your customer, they're so willing to walk with you through the journey of product improvement. Um, as long as you have that relationship where they feel cared for and that they're, that you over communicate any issues and how you're going to help solve it. Yeah, I think that's a great point that, that I don't think anyone has ever I've heard anyone say before, which is that if you do decide to go with MVP, you need to, like you are saying, over-index on the customer service because you need to make up for some of the, the potential lost value of the product through just sheer care and attention for that customer. I think that's a great point. I think when people think of product, they think of the actual tangible product that they're selling to the customer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so much bigger than that. And I think that it's the full experience. It's the experience of your website. It's the experience of customer service. It's the experience of the product itself and even thereafter on follow-up. And so I think a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, just think, oh, once I sell my product, the actual tangible product that somebody did, my job is done. And the actual product is is so much bigger than that. And I think um, in the beginning, like Taylor said, when you have a product that you don't think is perfect, but you're selling it anyway... Um, having transparency with the customers and, and reaching out to them and, and giving them 
or accepting their feedback and letting them know that you're continuing to work on it and providing a great customer experience Mm -hmm. will make them want to come back. People are forgiving as long as you're transparent. Mm -hmm. Now, did you have all of that ready? The entire, like you're saying, the product is not just the physical product, but the website, the follow-up. Did you already have all of that in place right from the beginning or was it something that you, you know, added as you went along? So, so I think the thing that also Casey has always had in place, Casey and Ted both, is deep care about what they were doing. And so even when the tools were imperfect, so the website has improved over time. You know, the first version, Casey built himself on a theme on Shopify with no pre- prior experience, which is sort of the beautify, beauty, the beauty of what you can do with Shopify. And so that's always improved over time. But anytime you've ever spoken with Casey or Ted or any customer actually interacted with them, they knew how much this meant to them and how much they genuinely cared about their interaction with the product. And so the tools have always followed on by the tone set by the entrepreneurs and how much they actually cared about the people using their product. And so I think that like it, you, you now see that in the way that if you call Kalo and the customer service that you get, you know, they've had customer service and employees ship flowers to customers because their husbands were coming home from the military that day. And like that, that sort of ethos and, and personality that they set from the early days of caring about their customer now gets carried into all the tools that now from the post-purchase email flow to what comes in your product shipment to, you know, all the little things that they do, they haven't been there since the beginning and they had to learn the tactics, but I think the care has always been, been there and has been reflected in the tools now. Mm, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense to have that foundation in place. I think a lot of it falls into place once you have that strong foundation. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about this post-purchase uh, follow-up that, that you mentioned a couple of times. Well, what's in it? So if someone orders a product, how soon do they hear from you guys after they receive the product and what do they hear from you? Yeah, so we, we, make, um, we make sure that the customer experience from the point of arriving on our website to even weeks after is a good one, and we want to make sure that it is. And so um, when we, we have a, a really quick turnaround on the actual product itself, and so it should get to the customer in about three to five days. And once it does, um, we will send follow-up emails making sure that they were satisfied with it. Um, and also reaching out, giving them access to be able to leave us reviews. Now, it's not reviews to pat ourselves on the back and have them always give us five stars. What the review is to give them an opportunity to reach out to us and communicate with us to make sure that we are actually solving the problems that they have. You'll see if you go on our Facebook, for instance, you'll see people that say, I came on here to actually leave a one star out of five. But when I was right when I was doing so, Kalo customer service actually called me and on my cell phone and spoke to me personally and and talked to me through the entire issue. And now I'm here leaving a five-star review. And so a lot of it is making sure that you're, you're understanding customer needs and, and what issues they may have. We also built out um, a great platform on our site um, dealing with RMAs and customer exchanges and returns. So we, we have a product that is similar to to shoes where people don't always know their size or the sizes may run Mm -hmm. different time people get sized for wedding rings when they get married and then they never do it again. And so we understood the challenges that customers were going to have and we tried to front those problems beforehand, which I think is very important to do. And so for us, it was about uh, creating a returns and exchange process where um, customers, it's very easy to do because oftentimes exchanging products can be sort of a pain in the butt and can cause people to actually not even do it at all and just be bummed out about the product itself. But um, Kalo as a company with our ethos, like Taylor spoke about, is making sure that the customer has the best experience possible. And so we cover um, all of the exchange process for the shipping, 
back to us and then the new product back out to you, which is really important. And then we make sure to do follow up once the product has been sent to you to make sure that it was the proper product itself. Yeah. And tactically, the post-purchase email flow. So you get an immediate order confirmation email that lays out very clearly what you've ordered, what to expect, which I think is like an underrated point of clarity for customers where it's like you want to be really clear that they understand what they're getting and then when you get your shipping confirmation, there's a video that just says what to expect with your order. And it shows like an email package, someone on opening it and uh, w- like what comes in your order. So you know what to expect. One of the things that Kayla did to delight customers early on is they, they added in these little baggies that are sort of neoprene zip bags that are holders for the, your ring that are totally free. That's just like a little element of delight for customers. Um, and then two weeks later, you get an email for a review solicitation from an app that we use called Yachtpo which again is as much about us solving problems. So we have our, the customer service team is dedicated to any three-star or below review is going to get an immediate response and outreach from customer service to solve that problem. Um, and then we built a custom RMA tool on top of Shopify with a company called Rocket Code that helped us to build a super easy uh, returns and exchange tool because we knew that, like Casey said, with wedding rings, that was really important. So we make give clear links to that process that comes in your shipment. So Every part of it, we try and consider any pain point that the customer might, might have and how we can help to solve it along the way. Mm, yeah, I think that what you were mentioning earlier about how sometimes the return process is such a pain and so confusing that a lot of people will just not bother returning at all. And that's not a good thing, right? Because the customer is just unhappy and they're probably not going to you know, use the product or refer others to the product. Now, what mistakes do you see other businesses making when it comes to how they handle exchanges and, and returns? I think a lot of problems I see other companies make, even with just customer service as a whole, is for some reason they start a business and it's like they've never been through a bad customer experience before or they've never had to return a product before. And so they sort of can put policies in place that end up being more of a pain for the customer than seeing it as a benefit. Mm. And I think as an entrepreneur that customer retention is everything with early adopters and making sure that it's a full experience. And so I think in the beginning as an entrepreneur, There should be a willingness to say, hey, I'm willing to sort of eat some of this cost or I'm willing to sort of go above and beyond for my customers to make sure that they're going to come back and buy again. And so, you know, obviously that goes back to what we mentioned earlier, where the size of the product and the actual logistics of getting the product out to people. But I think it's very important to create a process for customers that is beneficial to them when it comes to returns and exchanges, because with the competitive landscape on all fronts and all products when you deal with companies like Amazon and other companies that that have really beneficial um, shipping procedures is that you have to recognize that and understand that if you want customers to continue coming back to your website and so give them the best experience possible on the site. Yeah, I would say short-sighted economics is is a common mistake in the sense that they're evaluating the cost of returns um, without factoring in the opportunity cost or the loss of the lifetime customer value. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think that's a big thing that people have to like, if you understand the lifetime value of your customer, um, it allows you to be more aggressive in the way that you support them without concerning yourself with the short term economic loss. Um, and, And that's something I think people just take for granted. Yeah, so this this focus on customer service. You you mentioned uh, you know Rocket Code helping you guys create a a uh, I guess a custom app for for the site. But what, what other I guess tools and applications do you guys rely on to help with the the customer service? Because a lot of these kind of delightful moments that you, that you mentioned, like sending flowers to a customer, like how do you even keep track of all that to remember how to delight your customer, how to you know serve them better? 
Absolutely. The first I will say is that the Yacht Club that Taylor mentioned before for our reviews is huge. And I think as an entrepreneur, when you first start, you don't really realize how important reviews are. And reviews are everything. Because um, nowadays, that's how customers are gauging the quality of your product and the quality of your overall experience as a customer with the company. Um, but for us, from a, a customer service standpoint, Zendesk is the platform that we use. And it's been absolutely fantastic. James, um, who's our head of customer service here, we have about um, ranging anywhere from eight to 10 customer service employees at all time. We have some people that come on and help in the, in the heavier volume times for emails and phone calls. Um, but James researched a ton when we first started. And uh, like Taylor mentioned before, my, my cell phone was the customer service line initially. And we just had sort of a support at Kalo.com email address. Um, but when you talk about actually tracking customers and customer experience, it's very difficult to do that with just a basic email address. And just like our personal emails, it's very easy to have an email sort of fall through the cracks. Um, and so we looked at platforms that could host all of the, the tickets that we have or the emails from customers where we still have that support at Kalo.com email address, but it goes into this platform of Zendesk where it makes it very easy to track customers, to manage customer experience and to provide outreach for them, um, which makes it a lot easier. On the customer service side, we also use what we call macros, which are pretty much like generic responses that we've created um, to our most common questions. And when you talk about not having a large staff and you yourself doing customer service, it's very helpful to know, hey, I'm going to get a ton of questions about sizing. And here's the response that I give to everyone. But in the beginning, I was typing up every one of those to 10 different people, but it was the same response. And so generating macros through something like Zendesk is very helpful. So that's the platform we use. We've used it for over two years. We love it. It's been fantastic. And we're looking to even expand with them to make sure that we take advantage of all the resources that they have for our customer service team as well. Awesome. Now, one of the other touch points when you when you uh, are providing customer service is that unboxing experience, getting the package, and and actually being uh, delighted to to receive it and see what's inside of it. So, I think I think uh, you guys had mentioned about there was a, a neoprene bag inside. Talk talk to a little bit more about your packaging, like what's what's included in the packaging and how you uh, I guess how how you designed the packaging and, and got it made. Yeah. So we. Um, Again, similar to um, the initial product itself in manufacturing, it was sort of a, just an R&D process for Ted and myself when we first started to try and figure out sort of a fun way um, that the customers could have an even better experience than just having the ring itself. And so when we first started, we actually were just shipping it sort of in small, um, like a little poly bag um, with a sticker on the outside for the Kalo brand. But when I looked at what the product that we were offering was and, and understanding how important it was to the people that were receiving it, I wanted to give them a, an experience that was better than just the actual little Ziploc or poly bag itself. And so I wanted to be able to provide something that I felt like got our brand message across, um, which is sort of an active lifestyle. And that's sort of where the neoprene comes in. But it was something that was also functional, like the ring where they could clip it onto a backpack or put it in their workout bag and keep um, their real wedding ring safe. And so um, it was something that I just, looked into into creating a better customer experience. And I think that packaging is also important to be able to get your brand messaging across um, where with an e-commerce business, um, it's not like a retail store where they're walking in and they're seeing a display and seeing all the products lined up. They're just getting the one experience with the package and the ring that they're opening up there. And so we add a, a booklet as well, like a marketing booklet that helps share our brand story and share some of our ambassadors with the customers. We add a sticker with every order, just sort of as something fun that people are excited to get. And then we wanted to create a packaging as well that 
that was fun, got our brand messaging across, and then did a good job of holding on to the product that they had purchased. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations for, for vendors or websites even for listeners to check out if they want to start including things like these booklets or stickers or, or improving their packaging in general? Yeah, we, we uh, for the actual printing, we use dotprint.com is where we uh, print all of our booklets and it allows you to, to do high volume of booklets at a really inexpensive price. And I think that um, one way that you can do a great job of retaining customers and making sure they're coming back to your website as opposed to a marketplace is when products are shipped through FBA, for instance, you aren't including any marketing materials and you're not giving them the opportunity for potentially a 20% off coupon in there to make sure that they're coming back to your site or there's no added value from a customer experience standpoint. And so if the customers are coming, for instance, for us to Kalo.com and purchasing, what we want to make sure is that we're giving them a great experience. And so we print the booklets and they've evolved over time. Initially, I myself, I'm the the farthest thing from a graphic designer, but I was designing them and figuring things out on Illustrator and Photoshop. And and just sort of, even if it means putting your brand name, putting your mission statement and putting a, a coupon code on there is that it's helping customers come back to your website and giving them a little bit more of an experience in there. So printing off booklets, maybe adding a little coupon in there and then helping share your brand messaging that way, I think is a good way to go. We always like, anytime we're developing content or like any interaction with the customers, like one of the things that I always try and think about is mission, magic, money. So like if you think about how do we communicate who we are as a brand, what is our mission and why we exist? How do you give them a little piece of unexpected delight that's magic, that's not what they expected? Like as an example, when people used to call Kalo customer service, we we would use our ambassadors to leave the voicemail. So they would like hear from, you know, Jason Klepa or Shane Dorian would actually be the voice on the voicemail. So just little unexpected portions of magic. And then how do you set up to make, uh, increase the financial return on the marketing that you're doing? So like Casey said, in the, maybe in your, in your uh, shipment, what you want is like, we used to have a program with Xtol, I think that was like give five, get five. And so it was a way that we could give the customers an incentive to go and share the product with a friend And so you always want to think about, am I checking those boxes? Am I communicating my mission to the customer, helping them connect to the why behind why we exist? Am I giving them a little piece of delight in magic? And then am I driving this to make more money off of the the initiative? And so if you kind of use those as a good checkpoint, I think it'll improve the sort of interactions that you have. Mm. Yeah, so speaking of your ambassador program, I think that's exactly how I might have seen your product for the first time uh, represented by one of the ambassadors. Talk to us about this program. How did you even start an ambassador program and and get access to all of these uh, athletes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the first real sort of big name ambassador that we had was was Andy Dalton. And when you talk about sort of going through a network of people that you have, um, I had I went to Texas Christian University, which is also where him and his wife went as well. And so I was um, good friends with his wife when I went to school there. And so when Kalo first started, um, and as any entrepreneur starts, there's sort of an element of, of being a bit shameless, sort of in outreach and, and asking people for favors within reason. Um, and so when Kalo first started, I reached out to uh, JJ, Andy's wife, um, and said, hey, you know, I, I started this company um, and I thought maybe you and Andy might like it. Just wanted to send you some product. Uh, no expectations, but um, if, let me know if you're interested. And so I, and I included the website in there as well. And she responded back and said, hey, uh, Andy thinks it's cool. Go ahead and send them. So um, I sent them product and um, didn't really hear from them after that. And, and so I just sort of assumed, hey, hopefully Andy liked it. And then um, him being the, the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, they were actually on on Hard Knocks, the show on HBO. And so I didn't really know that. And so we um, had sent in the product a few months before the preseason that started for the NFL. And 
the first episode of Hard Knocks aired and um, I didn't have HBO or anything. And so I was just, my phone started blowing up from people just sending me text messages of, did you just see that? Did you see what happened? And I had no real clue what they were talking about. And then someone filmed the, the clip on their phone and sent it to me. And uh, the actual first episode did about a five to 10 minute segment on Andy's silicone wedding ring and wow. asking him about why he wears it and sort of this really sort of corny pan of while Andy searches for his Super Bowl ring, this one will have to do until then. And then part <laughs> did about a, yeah, right. Did about a five to 10 minute segment on it. And it was awesome. And so that was sort of the first moment um, that people started to actually search for silicone rings. And so CTC, um, Jordan and Taylor were actually the two guys that were sort of I mean, Taylor being my brother was obviously freaking out, but Jordan, his partner as well, was sort of sending me texts as well saying like, we have to capitalize on this. We actually have to do something. And that was sort of the first step where CTC reached out to us. We sat down with them and said like, what does it look like now that we actually have seen sort of a positive response and people responding in a positive way to this product? What does it look like to be able to really take advantage of this? And that's sort of where CTC came in. Yeah. So Jordan, my business partner and partner at CTC played in the NFL for eight years. So um, he had a lot of relationships with quarterbacks and knew Andy. And so the NFL really became an entry point where now if you look Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins and, you know, there's a bunch of NFL guys that are wearing Kalo. You can't turn on a Sunday, you know, go watch clips of the Super Bowl and you'll see guys holding the trophy wearing Kalo rings. And so that became a big community with Jordan's relationships and our network in the NFL and those guys. And so that initial entry point of Andy kind of teed us off to, wow, this creates a lot of interest. And so we developed um, that, that program a lot. And then each community we went into, we tried to identify who we thought was the most influential married person within that community. So within firefighters, police officers, CrossFit, we would always try and find people that matched Kalo's core values and that were looked at and respected within the community as authentic leaders of it. And so now we have an amazing team. You know, we felt like, I think Shane Dorian was our first official ambassador. And part of it was just he lives such a rad life and is such an awesome married man. You know, he's a hunter, big wave surfer, adventure. He's got the raddest kids. They live in Hawaii. And he just felt like he exemplified everything that Kayla wanted to stand for. And so he really, you know, another close relationship from, from Jordan. And we just built it out from there. And, you know, when you have these people who you develop authentic relationships with and they become ambassadors, we still get weekly texts from Shane asking us to send rings to his friends. And it's not this thing where he's obligated to put the ring on. We always like we never pay anyone to put the product on. We pay them to share our story once they're already fans of the product, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned uh, CTC a couple of times. That that's uh, I guess short for is a Common Thread Collective. Yeah, so Common mm -hmm. Thread Collective is is my agency. We focus on um, helping people grow their online business, um, and been doing that for a while, and work with a lot of companies on Shopify. And Kalo's been our been our client since the beginning, and it's had a rad run with them. Nice. Now, you, speaking of uh, working with these ambassadors, you mentioned that you want to make sure they're a fan of it first before paying them anything. I think that's important because a lot of times people can kind of see through that, right? The the target customer can kind of see through that. Oh, this is a paid sponsorship, and but they can really understand when there is an actual uh, value coming from the product because the the ambassador already likes it prior to getting any monetary benefit from it. Uh, but now, when you sit down and start thinking about how do how to uh, I guess pay ambassadors to help promote your product. You don't have to give us your exact terms, but like, what what are some key terms that you need to keep in mind when you're putting together a a deal with a, with an ambassador? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think we think about this very differently um, than, than most people. And one of the, so when we think about paying people, one, we want to respect who they are and their time and profession. And so when you ask somebody for what is their asset as a either a celebrity or a professional, like time is one is their biggest resource. So if you're going to require time, if you want them to come and do appearance or a photo shoot day, there's like a respect level in the transaction that, hey, I value your time, you're important to us, and I want to offer you a commensurate value for that. But the thing that's really important when you do these deals is you have to understand how you're going to recoup the value. Don't depend on them to generate a return on your investment. So what I mean by that is like you have to understand the channels by which you sell your product. If that's online, then you have to understand very clearly how you're going to get from using that ambassador to driving a return on value, whether that's accessing their audience or using them for your audience. You need to know the pathway to return, and then that allows you to determine what the, the value is that you should place on that, in that partnership. So you need to, to spend the time to do the basic math to say, okay, if I'm asking them for three posts on their Instagram account, how many followers do they have? What can I expect as a reasonable click-through rate to my site, and what percentage of those people we're going to purchase to understand whether there's a value exchange that's going to be profitable for you? Or if you're going to use them on your own community, how are they going to impact the conversion rate of your ads? How are they going to help you reach a broader audience? And so that's something we spend a lot of time on is before we do any deal, we understand the value that of how we're going to get value back in return. And that's really important that allows us to structure a deal that's profitable for both parties. A lot of times we see people do deals where it's like, oh man, we're going to pay this guy $50,000 or $25,000 or whatever it is, but we have no idea how we're going to get the return. And that becomes really dangerous. And so we always start with understanding where do we sell our product? How are we going to get value out of this partnership and how is it going to be mutually beneficial and how are we going to be respectful of the time that we ask for? And I think those become great structures for develop, doing great ambassador deals. And I can speak to that a little bit from the actual like entrepreneur startup side of some of that position. It's really exciting when you get a big name ambassador, you know, right. and it's very easy to get caught up in that and feel like now all of a sudden that we went and signed this celebrity or, or this professional athlete that now all of a sudden the revenue is just going to skyrocket and we better get ready to hang on. And it's not always the case. Right. It's and not, so it's, it's not magic. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to get sort of caught up in the excitement of, Oh my goodness, we just signed this ambassador and completely forget about the work that's going to come along mm. with. Signing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Casey and Taylor. So Kalo.com, Q A L O.com and common thread CEO.com are the two sites. Anywhere else you recommend listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Yeah, I mean, we're at Kalo on Instagram and Kalo on Facebook. Um, we have over half a million uh, likes on Facebook, which has been really awesome to see sort of the community build. And so you can see um, a lot of our content go up there as well. Instagram is a lot of fun. I think the team that we have internally that runs our social channels are a lot of fun as well. Um, and then Kalo.com, we have a blog there as well that you can go check out and learn about us and our ambassadors. Yeah, feel free to stop by the office in Santa Ana. We share an office together here. Um, so look up the address on the website, walk-ins welcome, and you'll get a great experience if you come by and meet the team. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thanks, Felix. Awesome. Appreciate it, Felix. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. Exclusive means that if I sign an exclusive contract with an IP holder, uh, we have the we have the sole ability to create items. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.